Welcome to the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast. We're here weekly working at simplifying things in our lives one day at a time, one simple step at a time. I'm your host, Michelle Visser, and this is sort of a mini season that we're in right now. I'm answering some of your questions and I'm giving my thoughts on a few topics. What it's like to do things scared was our last episode. And today we're talking about what our grandparents knew that we really need to understand. And then next week, we're going to um, dive into some menopause and early nest thoughts and questions I'll be answering that I get about those two topics. But also send me any questions that you have that you would like me to chat about. I'm thinking the next episode might just be kind of a answer your questions kind of thing, which might be sort of fun. If you want to send me a question, you can do so over on Instagram or you could go to the YouTube video if you're listening to this on YouTube and put your question in the comment there, or you can certainly send me an email, however is easiest for you to reach out. Let me know something that you would like to know. Um, so I told you in our first episode of this little mini season that I, this summer, one way that it was really complicated and hard for me was I lost two people in my life that are very near and dear, I should say were, and special to me. And that was kind of the inspiration for my thoughts today, that the generation that we are now losing or have recently lost loved ones to have a lot to teach us. And I think it would be so easy to squander that away and let that kind of die with the generation. And that would be a very sad thing. So, um, I'm thinking not only about the grandmother that we recently lost, but my other grandmothers as well. And my uncle Thurman as well in his life, I'll mention him. I'll get to him in a minute, but, um, for our grandmothers, nothing about life was fancy when they were raising a family just to cook a simple meal. Um, my mom's mom. I, I know I picture her when I think about those family meals around the table back in the 1940s and 50s. I think of her because I spent a lot of time in that kitchen, in that farmhouse when I was growing up. So that's the one that's easy for me to, you know, that's where my mind goes when I think of grandma in a kitchen. And for grandma, nothing was really that simple about a simple meal, if you know what I mean. I love to to remember that stove and I wish I could, I don't know, somehow have that wood stove in her kitchen. She had a really big, intense wood cook stove, you know, where you lift up each one of the um, burners. It's not called a burner, I guess, on a cast iron stove, but the cast iron circles that you lift up with your cast iron handle and move it to the side and you can add a few kindling pieces right there, or you can move the bigger section of the stovetop again with the same tool and you can put down in a log or you can open a door in the front of the wood stove and add wood there. But however she would add her wood, she had to keep that fire hot and going to keep the meal cooking on top of the stove. Um, (laughs) You know, it wasn't that she could just push a few buttons and produce a leftover dinner in minutes. Um, and honestly for grandma, if I had sat down and asked her, don't you so much wish you could just go back to one day 
50 years ago, 80 years ago with somebody who either you knew as a child or maybe you didn't know and you would just love to meet them. Oh, I so wish I could sit down and have some talks with grandma. Um, but I'm sure if I asked her, you know, do you know that one day there'll be people that say they want to learn how to do this thing called homesteading and homesteading is going to become kind of trendy and people will like leave the big cities and look for land and say, I'm going to start a homestead. Um, I, I think she would laugh, tell me I'm crazy and tell me that there, there's nothing about this life. People want to leave the uptown life to come emulate. I mean, this is hard stuff. Um, but I also think she would tell me, but you know what, the, the parts of my life that nobody can buy their, their big city money can't come and buy, you know, they can come by a tractor, they can come by land, they can buy the help of some coach to help them learn how to do what they're doing. But the things that no money could buy are the things that I have that they should emulate the things that are in my day that my time goes towards that nobody could buy. Those are the parts of my life that people should emulate. If that makes sense. I'm not sure if that made sense, but I mean, the satisfaction of making do with what you have is not something you can buy, if you know what I mean. I'm not saying there's any reason to not leave the city, leave corporate America and start a homestead. I think that's a fantastic thing, honestly. <laughs> um, but my point is, just because you have the money and the availability to do that, if you're one of those people, um, your money's not going to buy that satisfaction that grandma had, that she could take a little bit of not much, very exciting and put a good meal on the table for her family if she worked hard at it. Um, I don't know. We're such a throwaway culture. We're so content, you know, with gadgets that last us for a few years. Um, I don't know. I mean, just, just for, for lunch today, I made popcorn and I had this popcorn maker just, um, for a little while and it, it's not working that well. And I was like, Oh, I just need to get another one. And Kayla said, um, mom, you, you just got that last winter. I remember when you bought that. I'm like, Oh no, I'm sure I've had it longer than that. And she's like, no. And I sat down and I thought about it. I was like, Oh my goodness, this gadget has not even lasted me a year. And I'm quick to say, Oh, I'm just going to get another one. It's just not working well. I don't know. I mean, heck, we trade in our thousand dollar phones because we need the latest model, right? The new Google Pixel just came out, I think yesterday. And Aiden was telling me about how it's better than my current phone that I have, which is like probably about five models old. <laughs> I never have the new phone ever. I have, you know, the one that will get me by. Um, but I don't know. You, you know, we have a phone that's literally two years old that works fine. And, and we go, Oh, but I need to have that latest version. That's crazy. And then we spend so much money for it. I don't know. We're also okay that like a major appliance will last us maybe five years. My refrigerator, I think it's maybe six years old and it's been going now for a couple of years. It's crazy. Like that when it's like four years old, it started giving us problems. And here I am now ready to go. Well, I guess we need to get a new refrigerator. I mean, that's a big expensive appliance. But I think in a lot of ways, we're just okay with it because, you know, we need a new one and we're just kind of used to it, to things not being built that well. But how different to have been grandma 
and to have had the same stove her entire married life. And it's not something that's going to be replaced. If something doesn't work so well on it, you need to figure out a way to fix it. Um, I don't know. We're just, we're missing out on what our grandparents knew. There is definitely genuine satisfaction in getting by with what we have, being creative, being ingenious, or just being thrifty and conservative and figuring out how to make do with what we have. For one thing, it usually requires us to invest into it. So suddenly we care more about our things. If we had to repair it ourselves, right? And we knew we couldn't replace it. We care more about that thing. We appreciate that thing, that appliance or the food or the vehicle, whatever it is. We care more about the family members that we're providing for by taking time to do the thrifty thing and do the thing needed to conserve what we have so we can provide for our family. Um, I mean, I don't know. And usually too, we're being more hands-on if we're being conservative with what we have and making do with what we have. And just the very idea of using our hands is investing ourselves. And the science shows that it releases those happy chemicals in our brain and genuinely makes us feel good when we're hands-on repairing something or doing something or working with something. Back in season five, episode five, actually, of season five, Jill Winger and I chatted about that very topic. If you haven't caught season five, episode five, go back and give it a listen. But also in the past few episodes, I've been talking about our economy, what we value, how it changes the way that we see everything. And if we're using our hands and investing ourselves, if you invest in something, you you care more about it, right? You pay attention to it. You want to make sure you're getting a paycheck, quote unquote, on your investment. So if you're investing yourself, you suddenly care more about yourself. You have to use your time well. You have to not waste it on things that will ultimately just depress you, not fulfill you, make you sedentary, make you mind-numbingly bored. Instead, you have to take care of yourself. You want to be able to do the hard work. But more importantly, not only do you take care more about yourself if you're investing yourself into a project or making a meal or getting something done that has to be done because it, you know, will save us money maybe, or it means that we don't have to buy a new appliance or that new gadget, but we're investing into those people that we love, those who need us to see this through and get this done. Those who we love are going to benefit from that meal we're making or that chore that we're doing that we really don't want to be doing, but we're investing ourselves, getting it done because it's ultimately showing love to or taking care of somebody that we love. But I also think not only are we missing out on the satisfaction of making do with what we have, being pleased with what we have and fixing what we have, I think today's society is also missing out on that satisfaction. I talk about this a lot of finding joy in those simple things. Um, my uncle Thurman, I believe I've been referring to him as TR in previous episodes because that was his nickname. Uncle. It's funny. We called him uncle Thurman, but we called him TR. I don't know why. I guess uncle TR just sounded weird. I don't know, (laughs) but Oh, I miss TR. He was such a great guy. He was married to my mom's sister. And my mom, it was the sister 
she had a sister on each side, an older sister and younger sister. The younger sister, Aunt Jo, is still with us. Um, reminds me so much of my mom, such a sweet lady. And the older sister was TR's wife. And the four of them, mom and dad and TR and Naomi, were like the bestest of friends, like forever, like into adulthood. They'd get together often. Sunday afternoon was a time they would drive to one's house or the other, take the kids along, play games, eat all afternoon, sit and talk the rest of the afternoon. Um, it was just that kind of a relationship. TR and Naomi lived in Baltimore and we lived in Newark, Delaware. So I remember thinking it was such a long drive, but you know, I was a kid too. It's really not that far, but, um, so I, TR was an uncle that I cherished and he died this past summer he was 90. And now that generation, you know, is, is it's gone on my father's side because TR, even though he was married to my mom's sister, he called himself and my dad called himself, they called each other brother-in-law and they were like two peas in a pod, best friends, like joined at the hip kind of guys. And, um, all of my, my father was one of 10 siblings. All of them are now gone. The last sibling, my aunt Sally, the baby of the family passed away not long ago. And then TR survived another year or two. Um, so now I feel like he was the final, the last thing I had to hold on to in that generation on my father's side. And I have two left on my mother's side, the two babies of the family on my mom's side. Um, they weren't actually, there was another, my uncle David passed away when I was young, but the other two that were younger than my mom are still living. My uncle Roger and my aunt Joe love them both. Try to keep in touch with them. Um, but it's just, it's so sad that, you know, when you see a generation just gone or almost gone, well, but they knew about what I was getting at. <laughs> they knew about simple joys. They knew about those very simple things that they could not take for granted because life was hard. I would call my uncle Thurman um, in the evenings, especially throughout the winter. I tried to do it weekly and we would chat. This was before his dementia got too bad that he no longer knew me on the phone. But when he did, we would chat for an hour or two and he'd often apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking so long. And I'd be like, are you kidding? I'm loving every minute of this. Don't ever apologize. Cause we would just talk about the old days and he would tell me his stories. And I learned things I never knew about him through those calls, but you know, he, he, as a kid, they had a cow, but they didn't keep the butter. They had chickens, but they very seldom kept the eggs. In fact, he told me they would usually only keep eggs if they were cracked or they found some old somewhere that they didn't know, you know, how old they were, where the hen had laid them in a weird place. And then they were so happy to get to keep the eggs, but they would make the butter from the cow's milk and they would sell it. And all of the eggs they would sell and they needed those things to be able to barter for other things that they needed even more desperately. And I, that just blows my mind. You know, here we have people from the city that have the money to go buy a farm and build a homestead, like I said, which is great, but they would never have to do that. I mean, they could invest all the money they want to have their homemade butter, right? I mean, but to think that you could be making these things and then making them only because you have to have something else of great necessity. I don't know. It just always struck me as so sad when he would share that. 
And um, he went to a one-room school, first through eighth grade. And then he had to go into town when he reached ninth grade. And he went one year, but finances were so bad that, and he never told me this with sadness when he talked about it, but he quit in the ninth grade because he went to work on the orchard. There was an orchard in town and it was very seldom that there wasn't some kind of work to do all year long at the orchard. If the weather got really bad, which didn't happen often down in the panhandle of West Virginia, but if it got really bad in the winter, then they would close up the orchard and he wouldn't have work. But aside from that, the rest of the year, he would be working day in and day out. And he worked there, I guess, I guess it was for almost four years um, as a high schooler, you know, instead of going to high school. And his dad wasn't concerned about it. I don't know how his mom felt about it, but he would often tell me, oh, no, dad, dad wasn't concerned about his kids going to school or getting an education. It wasn't something that ever meant anything or was of any value to him. But on the flip side, TR was the exact opposite, of course. It was very important to him that his kids not only have a good education, but thrive at their education. Um, but as soon as he turned 18... He and a friend were working on the orchard one day, and the way he told the story, they literally just looked at each other and said, you know what? There's got to be something better. Let's change things. And they literally went home, changed their clothes, and the next day they thumbed their way, took, you know, um, uh, what's the word? <laughs> hitchhiked. <laughs> they hitchhiked from the panhandle of West Virginia up to Baltimore. And they spent that first night at the bus terminal, he would tell me. They didn't know a single soul. And the next morning, they started looking for a job. I mean, can you imagine? That's that's not the way we have to do things today. Um, he found a job with a paint company, and he would come home some weekends. He had an old Chevrolet, and they would sleep in the car um, on Sunday when they got back. Like, they would go home for... The weekend but then drive back to baltimore sunday and that night sunday night he would tell me they would sleep in the car he and his buddy because they didn't want to wake up the lady because she was a sweet lady and they didn't want to upset her um when they got home late at night and they were renting a room from her so these two guys were literally just renting one room in this woman's house um because all they could afford but they would still sleep in the car so they wouldn't wake her up um uh, but you know what I, I need to pause i just realized i have not told you um, about our sponsor for this episode. So before I tell you a little bit more about TR's story, let me tell you about True Leaf Market. I just shared a reel over on Instagram that folks are loving. It's the first in a series. I'm going to, I have planned to do a whole lot on this topic about food storage. I store food for two reasons, convenience and savings. And in the reel, I show the buckets and the storage lids that I use to store things like rice and popcorn and wheat berries. And um, I find it saves me a whole lot of money when I'm buying in bulk and I can fill up these buckets. I'm spending a lot less per unit. And then the great convenience, I live 18 miles from the nearest stoplight. It's a half an hour trip one way to get to a town, one direction or another, where I can go buy groceries. So it's so much more convenient to have things like salt and sugar um, stocked and flour and wheat berries stocked in my root cellar. So um, anyway, so people are going crazy over these lids and I'm getting so many messages and comments about where do you get these buckets and these lids. And I'm telling everybody the same thing that I'm going to tell you right now. Go to solelyrested.com slash seeds and I link to 
everything that I love at True Leaf, including these amazing storage lids that make it so easy to store in bulk your food storage needs. And there's also a coupon there at solelyrested.com slash seeds. The code is SR10 that you can use at True Leaf Market. And it's only good a few more weeks. So definitely go check it out. Solelyrested.com slash seeds. I love True Leaf. I'm so thankful that they sponsor this podcast and help make it possible. So please go support them. They're a wonderful small family business. They have great products. They have amazing customer service. I think you're going to like everything they sell from their seeds to these amazing storage lids that I'm talking about. Solelyrested.com slash seeds to see all of it. Okay. So, um, TR, he eventually did have, I mean, he always had a desire to have an education. He just didn't have the means to do so because his family literally would have starved if he wasn't working. His father did not have a good work ethic, very seldom even did go to work, but TR took that burden on himself and he provided for his family, but he always wanted an education. So when he was living in Baltimore, he started going to night school And he then found a job at Bethlehem Steel, and he spoke often pretty highly of working at Bethlehem Steel and was proud of that job. And he was able to eventually get his high school diploma. And I think it's so amazing to have had that drive that he did, you know, all along from ninth grade on that eventually he would he would work towards getting an education in some way, but he would do what needs to be done now when it's needed, you know, when he had to stop school. Um. And then I think this is super cool. He got a job cleaning at Johns Hopkins and he would see Ben Carson. This was back in the days of Ben Carson at the top of his career working as a, as a surgeon. And he would pass him in the hall, said he was a really neat, really humble guy that would take time to wave or acknowledge, you know, my uncle who's passing by one of the cleaners there at the hospital. And, um, he actually, I think it's so cool. I think it's one of my claim to fames that my uncle prepared, cleaned and prepped the room before that infamous surgery when Ben Carson did the first surgery ever to separate two twins. Oh, were they joined in the in the brain? I'm not I'm I'm actually forgetting now. I'm drawing a blank. But that very first infamous surgery separating the twins that Ben Carson did, my uncle, in his own humble, small way, was part of that. And I'm very proud of that. Well, once kids, once his kids got a good education, they were grown, they were successful, they had time, then he finally took the time to retire and he started flipping houses. And again, he was working hard, like really hard work as an older retired man, buying and flipping houses. And he would paint with my dad. They would have customers all across the county that they would go because they were so meticulous and so good at their interior painting of rooms and ceilings and walls, you know. And they did that for over a decade. I loved watching them work. If I ever stopped in on a job and they would just be chatting away. They loved their work. They absolutely loved it. Now, I hate painting, hate it, despise it. On Instagram, I was showing you a few weeks ago that my daughters, my older daughters are taking on some projects for me. And one of them was painting. Some rooms needed painting and I hate it. They took it on. I was so, so thankful. But my dad and TR, they loved painting. And they loved, you know, the simplicity of the simple work that paid good money that allowed them to sit and chat while they were working and in their older age. So um, then in his late seventies, he moved back to his old farm, which I think is also super cool. He moved back to the West Virginia farm where he was living as a kid 
and he was cutting wood for his heat. It was his sole source of heat was his wood stove in the old farmhouse. He was cutting and stacking that wood by himself the entire time that he was living there and on the farm of his youth. I mean, how cool is that? Talk about going back to the old ways or going back to homesteading. He legitimately did that. Um, there's so much more about his story, but, um, we, we really can't relate to a lot of it. I feel like so much of it, um, we would do differently today, but I can tell you something that his life afforded him that many of us are missing that satisfaction of finding joy in those really simple things, even when times are really tough, even when you don't get to keep most of your eggs that your chickens lay or keep the milk that you make from your cow's butter. When you have a cracked egg, you're so happy. There's great joy. You get to have fresh eggs for breakfast. I mean, you know, there's just that satisfaction of simple, simple things and enjoying them. Even in his late eighties, he would talk to me about how much he appreciated butter and eggs. He never took them for granted. Um, and he took great pride in his good elementary schools that his kids went to. And he would talk about them often. He'd take, he took great pride in his very simple row home that they lived in, in Baltimore, where he raised his family. And he had this manner of just sitting back, crossing his legs and quietly watching everything. He and my dad, both side by side would sit in public. My mom and aunt would maybe be shopping or something. And they'd sit back on a bench side by side, cross their legs, like at the same time and parallel to each other and just sit back, just watch, take it all in. They noticed those simple joys going on around them and they enjoyed watching them and it would give them a story to tell later. They appreciated those simple things. I also mentioned another important person when we started this episode. Um, and that was Bill's grandma, my husband's grandma, but she's always been my grandma. I've always called her grandma. When I started dating Bill, I didn't have any grandmothers of my own. My one grandmother died when I was two. So I have no memory of her. And that was my mom's grandmother. She's the one that even though I, it's, it's, I love it that even though I don't have a memory of her personally, her kitchen, I do remember. And I tried to envision like I said, when I think of a grandmom cooking, I envision her because I certainly have seen many pictures of her and I envision her in that kitchen that I loved as a kid. Um, and then my other grandmother, my dad's mom, she actually, I'm named after her name was Rose and she died when I was 12. So when I started dating Bill, I had no grandmoms and Bill's had two grandmoms at the time and they both literally became my grandmoms and the one, his mom's mom just passed away. She was an amazing lady. She died just a few days shy of her 98th birthday, and she was going strong and healthy. She had just walked an entire long walk around the whole block where she was staying with like at a good speed. Like she was a healthy, healthy 98-year-old woman. She had just done that the day before she actually had to go to the hospital. Um, she actually passed away in the winter. Her birthday is February. She passed away a few days before that. But there, fun fact, there are no funerals often in the winter up here, up north, if you want to inter the body, because, you know, we have usually so much snow and our ground is so hard that most funeral homes just, I don't even know what they do, but they put the bodies on ice, I guess. <laughs> um, so it was actually a very long goodbye that we had. We would, we packed up her cottage in the late winter, early spring 
And I'm still going through some of her books that I brought home. I just put them all in a box and decided to go through some of them later. Um, but I wanted to share with you today what I wrote about grandma that I shared at her funeral. I think that's the the way I would like to sum up my thoughts on grandma. Um, it actually kind of sums up our last two episodes in this season, just about being fearless sometimes, doing things scared sometimes, and investing into others. It's so important to invest into the others the other people in your life and appreciating those simple joys in the people and in our lives. And I think this just kind of sums it all up. So I'm just going to read it to you. Grandma and I connected over a love of history, especially family history. She pulled out old books with inscriptions from family from 1817. And I just got all gooey Google eyed and loved to hear her talk about them. And oh, the books. She loved books with a passion even greater than my own. And we both shared an important intuitive nature into what is always necessary to cap off a good meal, a great cup of hot tea. But there were things she was great at that I am definitely still working at. These are the things that I too hope that I'm known for if I am blessed to live a long life like grandmom did. First of all, grandmom was fearless. A few decades ago, I watched her climb up into a tiny two-seater airplane piloted by her grandson and have the flight of her life. A few years ago, I watched her haul herself up into a four-wheeler piloted by her son-in-law and going all over the hills of our little farm. And last summer, she folded herself down into my little convertible because she wanted me to drive fast. <laughs> and send the wind through her hair on an errand we were doing together. I'm always analyzing every move and worrying about ways that I might fail, but grandma didn't worry about her limitations, but she enjoyed each day making it as full as the opportunities allowed. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it tells us, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Second of all, Grandmom was connected. She really kept abreast of what everyone was doing in her very large family. She had 70 grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren, and she would always ask about everyone, and she would always tell each of us details about the other ones, and she knew every detail. She sent everybody cards and notes often, and there were so many wonderful notes. I often fail in these two areas, but the truth is grandmom wasn't especially gifted at them, but her faith was very important to her. So she was gifted at knowing her savior and getting to know him more every day. When any of us do that, it changes us. Romans 8, 28 through 29 tells us this. Many folks love to quote the first verse and imagine all the good that he has in store for us. But grandma knew that the good we're promised has nothing to do with the world's economy. Those good things aren't fancy homes, sweet cars, and a nice big chunk of land. Romans 8 29 tells us what the good is that he's working out for us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Grandmom loved Jesus 
and she was becoming a little more like him with every one of her 91 wonderfully filled years. Of all of her traits to emulate, that's the one. I need to know Jesus even more with every passing year, and I will become more fearless, and I will become more connected to the people in my life, and so many other wonderful things too. So that's what I shared at her funeral, and I made a reel about her and her ride in my little convertible that actually went viral. It was my most viewed reel. You know, I didn't look before I got on. Um, I think it's, I think it was over 700,000 people that have seen that reel. Um, and it really struck a chord. I don't even know how many comments, but it really struck a chord with a lot of people. And boy, would grandma have loved to have known that that many people were impacted by her ride in my little convertible. She would have loved that. Um, so anyway, I just want to remind you, um, that's it for now, by the way, I'm, I'm done. I feel like I've talked a whole lot, <laughs> I've talked all about, um, my family. Um, but I hope it was interesting to you. And I hope that it inspired you the way that these two amazing, wonderful people have inspired me very much. So, and, um, I want to remind you to go ahead and send me questions you might have that you'd like me to talk about in our next episode. And I think that's everything I had to tell you. Go check out solelyrested.com slash seeds and give some love to True Leaf and definitely use that amazing coupon code before it expires. Um, and that's it. Thanks for listening, guys. I really, I really appreciate, it, especially that you listened, that you hung with me through this one because this was a very personal one to me. And I hope, like I said, I truly hope that it was meaningful to you. And then I, I gave you some thoughts to encourage you and think on. And with that, remember, it's easy to forget how blessed we are to live this life. So enjoy the simple everyday efforts. It's not easy, but it's a good life.